Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and tube manufacturing. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 321. So a handful of weeks ago, uh, in episode 316, which was titled Chunk to Chunk Current Returns, uh, we talked about a project that I've been working on uh, that I started, well, let me put it this way. I purchased a lot of the items in 2010, and I started it seven years ago. So they sat for a while, and then I started it, and then it sat for a while, and I finally got it, I'm using air quotes here, wrapped up. In other words, the electronics of this device is done. Uh, the, uh, the, the chassis and all the... Uh, circuit boards and all the wiring stuff i've got that finished i'd still need to decorate it and put it inside of a nice box and things like that which i'm currently working on but i've got the electronics done well you have the metal chassis done correct all like the labeling for the knobs and stuff correct it is a functional unit currently so you can build like a wooden box that goes around it that like protects it yes yeah absolutely and then like full-on do the decorative elements and like the tolex and and all that stuff so in, back in episode 316, I was discussing some uh, aspects about this circuit that were kind of unique. Um, the PCB itself was basically just had reference designators on it, but none of the values. So the user just buys this PCB and then populates whatever they want into it. So you can kind of sculpt it uh, however you feel like. And if you know if some parts of the circuit don't work for you, don't populate them or populate them however works for whatever's in your head. So I, I finally got that all squared away. And this is a fairly big uh, amplifier that, that it's a three channel, tube amp, 100 watt, all the bells it's and like, whistles. It's like five feet wide. 26 inches, close, close to five feet, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, they, it's 26 inches wide. It you mean like four meters microcontrollers. It's got MIDI control. It has relay switching. It's got just all kinds of stuff going on inside. But one of the big reasons why I was even building it, um, two, two things. In fact, we had talked about this right at the beginning of 2022. Parker and I talked about Engineers New Year's Resolution. Oh, yes. And one of them for me was to just chew through my backlog, get old projects done and out. And near the beginning of the year, I got my oldest project done, which was a decade old. And then this was number two. And I have got the electronics done on this. My favorite uh, thing with this project is it's as old as Macrofab. I actually, so I had this, I had the parts for this just lying around. And the week I started Macrofab, I started this project. Uh, in fact, I would leave Macrofab at the end of the workday and I would drive to my shop because I had a shop that was on my way home. And uh, and that's where I did all my electronics. And I would, I would go put in 30 minutes after work and then drive home from there. I did that for a handful of weeks. Um, and and it, one of the funny things about why I didn't finish this project is because it had so many unique characteristics about it that I wanted to do correct in a way. Uh, I guess correct as in like, there was certain because this was partially a kit uh, there were certain things that i didn't get to choose and i was kind of upset about uh the <laughs> fact that like like there were so many that's okay so this is one of the big problems about a kit once you've once you've been a designer for a while and you put together someone else's kit 
there's so many things where you sit back and be like, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it this way. Uh, and, and this project ended up turning into a lot of that where it's like, Oh, I don't want to do it this way. I want to change things and I need better tools to be able to change things. So I shelved this project until I had the ability to do the things I wanted to. And now I do because I have access to some pretty nice CNC machines and, uh, and actually I got a 3d printer thanks to craft labs. Who's uh, been on our podcast a few times. Uh, and so there's, there's a handful of extra little things that I wanted to add to this project to make it correct and right. Uh, such as like brackets and things to hold wires and and things of that sort. But but really the 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 main impetus why I even wanted to build this is because this circuit, the PCB, forced the user to use a star ground configuration. And uh, I've talked about this a handful of times in the past, uh, but now I actually have a device that is truly star ground. Maybe not truly, but like as close to star ground as I'm willing to go. Uh, in fact, I, I posted some pictures on Twitter about this, and one person, I don't remember their name, but they commented that they call it Comet Grounding, which I kind of really like that. Uh, yeah, I like it it that ended up just being Comet Grounding because of the way that I used green wires and red uh, heat shrink, because uh, it just looks like a whole bunch of like lines coming into a single point. And I, I get where they're going for, uh, with that. But, but effectively, this circuit has a ton of different sub circuits to it each one has its own dedicated ground point that goes to uh my star ground which i located right at the input of this uh of the chassis and this uh so so 10 individual grounds that each service their own sub circuit come together and and from from a design and even manufacturing perspective i look at the circuit and it makes me shudder because it's just like oh this looks terrible and and something deep down inside like my engineering soul is like i don't like this this doesn't look right you know i want to put a ground plane and i want to connect everything through a via down to my ground plane and be happy <laughs> but 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 that's the whole purpose why i even built this circuit was like okay i just want to try this just to see yeah. if it works out well. And so uh, so here's the thing. I, I've, I've been able to try it now, and I'm, I'm actually a bit surprised because it works out well. Maybe I shouldn't be too surprised because star grounding has been around for a long time. It's, it's sort of a surefire way to have low noise. Uh, I say surefire because it, it doesn't work for a lot of situations, but mm. it is the most... I guess simple to think about. Implement every ground point has its own wire to a single point, right? Yeah, it but, makes uh, you pay attention to returns and that kind of stuff because you actually have to manually route it. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You have to think a lot more about that. But when it starts, okay, we talked about this in a few episodes ago. But when you start to have something that is like considerably large, given you know this this chassis it's seven inches by 26 inches long it's 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 it's, it's a amplifier that's in three zip codes exactly exactly like the the okay so the ground return wires are not measured in like one or two inch they're measured in like 12 14 20 inch long wires which that's the part in in my soul that's like oh this is terrible why would i ever do it this way like the ground planes or sequential uh, series grounds that that flow down the path that that makes the most sense from a like 
strictly like PCB layout. Uh, Keeping the returns short. Keeping your return short and returning current short. Sorry, returning currents from their destination to their source, right? Mm -hmm. But in this situation, that bucks that entire rule, and the result is surprising because it works really damn well. Like this amplifier is very quiet. I get no oscillations whatsoever. I can have my guitar cranked all the way up and juice this thing. Like have it extremely loud and the the most amount of noise I get out of it is hiss that's generated from resistors basically mm. just random electron noise due to thermal noise in in resistors so it's one of those things that's making me rethink my grounding strategies for a lot of situations where okay I can have a circuit that's hand wired with many many say eight nine ten very very long ground wires which seems like ridiculous uh method of of designing something that functions very very well uh now we're talking about low frequency the second you add high frequency to this it's just don't even think about this uh well and and here's the thing like i've got a microcontroller on this board that's running at i don't remember 16 megahertz something like that but it has its own ground plane that's just for the microcontroller so just the digital stuff yeah, it's a trap that's that's holding all the high frequency stuff in there. But the main five volt regulator that feeds the digital stuff has its own wire that goes off to the star ground. So it's a uh, some of this is obvious. Some of this is not terribly obvious. It's just a very different way of thinking. And I've certainly built uh, circuits the other way. Uh, I mean, I've I've built circuits both. Well, let's let's put it this way: three grounding schemes. Star grounding, where, like I'm discussing, I've done yep. one now that it has great success. I've done plenty of single ground planes on a circuit board. That's my go-to, and then I've done a handful that are sequential grounds, where each ground flows upwards from the input stage all the way to whatever your power is, and that works as well too. So, it's not that any of these are superior to another it's just about how you approach each one and what situation works best for each one that that sounds correct it's because when you go onto the forms it's always a battle of which one's better oh yeah and it's like yeah. well they can probably all be the best if you design it right there's a reason why it works right yeah you have to you have to loops. take care for them. The the one thing that's that's shocking to me is just the sheer length of wire. Is it seems to me like that's just a guaranteed recipe for disaster. Yeah, but it's picking not. up an, like being an antenna. Like being an antenna. I even have all of my ground wires bundled together, all nine of them bundled together with zip ties. So all the currents between all my ground wires are in proximity of each other, and there's still not interference in between them. Uh, and so it's just, it's something that I want to explore some more. Um, mm-hmm. it, and, and it's all dependent upon what your frequency is, what your frequency of operation. Now, when it comes to like my day job and my, my professional job that I do, there's no way that I'm going to go away from ground planes. Like that's just, first of all, it's easy. Second of all, it just works. And my the, the, the length of separation but that my ground traces have to, travel are measured in inches or less much less than inches Mm -hmm. so 
there's no way that I would employ star grounding in this. But when when we start getting into larger circuits or even circuits that are in, say, like a control cabinet, star grounding starts to become more uh, attractive let's or required in terms of like a cabinet. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess you know, in a cabinet, you end up with like a ground bus, right? So I wonder if uh, this might play into it. Yeah. Is um, does the because uh, the wire is a lot thicker than the a trace can ever be, really? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. By um, orders. And I wonder if that if that wire being this would be very interesting to try to calculate. Basically, is like so you have a plane. Try yeah. to figure out what the impedance of your return path is, right, on that plane, mm. versus a really long eighteen gauge. What gauge were you using? Like sixteen twenty two. Oh, that's even thinner than I thought. Um, but yeah, just do the calculation of what the impedance would be um, on that. Um, yeah. the The other thing. The other thing is I. All of my ground wires, I actually suspended them above the PCB by maybe a centimeter or two, something like that. So, you know, if you have to run all of your traces on the PCB, you're guaranteed that your proximity to other traces is going to be a whole lot hell of a lot closer. Yeah, and uh, that's actually your, like, one thing, the first thing you can do to reduce noise is the trace goes perpendicular, mm-hmm. um, not parallel to the other trace. Because when you're parallel, they can actually couple. And then the second thing is make them far apart. That's number two. Um, you know, that, that's an interesting... There's an interesting side note to that. Um, every time I do a two-layer PCB, I'll lay out the entire board, and I will set aside specific time to go do a perpendicular check where I turn on both my top and my bottom layer, and I look at all of my traces, and any trace that isn't perpendicular, I ask... Is that okay that it's not perpendicular? Oh yeah. Or, or would it be better for me to slightly reroute it such that it's perpendicular at the crossing point? Yep. But that only applies to two layer boards. As soon as you're doing four layer boards with planes, like yeah, screw it. Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I mean, you look at the pinball board, and there's like lines that are parallel all the way across the board, but it's like you gotta get the dash signal over there. Yeah. How? Yeah. How else is it gonna work? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So yeah, I'm excited about this. There's there's certain things I want to uh, experiment with it a little bit further to see what's up. In fact, I'm designing a four layer board right now that I'm planning on doing star grounding um, as opposed to uh, sequential grounding like I've done in the past. Just I want to do it one more time uh, with a PCB this time as opposed to wires to see if I get the same level of. Uh, success. This one worked out really well, in my opinion. I think it was it was really good. Mm-hmm. So uh, for this project, um, I need to build a wood enclosure, which I've actually already cut and glued up. In fact, after the podcast, I'm going to go sand it down and prep it up. Um, hopefully this weekend, maybe I can get around to decorating it and getting it close to finished. Because as soon as this thing is in that enclosure, I can mark this project as hundred percent done and move on to the next thing, which is nice. That's a goal. I'm trying to knock out. I've I'm almost done with number two for the year and we're in March. So trying really hard here. Doing better than me so far. (laughs) I got all the Macrofab podcast stuff done, except uploading to YouTube. 
That's like yeah, my you, last thing on that list to do. You've been doing a lot of back end stuff, and yeah. you've got all your torque wrench stuff that you're working on. Yes, which is so. a different project though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big. I project. added a project at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, all right. So today at Macrofab, I had a huge meeting with sales team, and um, and they were asking a bunch of questions of like. Basically, I was doing like a, that, that, like being a mock customer, so to speak, right? Where they ask you questions and like, because you're like, you're the, you're an engineer that actually designs and builds stuff. Um, so they have a good resource to ask lots of questions like that. Um, and they asked me a question that I didn't really have a good way to answer. Um, and I thought this would be a good thing to talk about. And this is a great question for our community too. And I'd love to get them their feedback on this. And it's um, because we've talked about this before on the podcast is like engineers and sales can really never get along. It's oil and water, man. It's oil and water, but it's like, cause there's two opposing uh, goals to those two jobs. Um, they have to work together. That's the only way you can, you know, make a lot of stuff, right? Um, and uh, but it's like they never really get along because they have two opposing ideas of not just not just how things are done, but just how they approach problems mm-hmm. um, and what their end goal is. Um, but so they asked me, what can a salesperson say or do that will spark an interest of an engineer? Because and so. This came after basically when I get a call or an email from a salesperson, I almost immediately just delete it. <laughs> um, uh, that's, so, sorry, that's funny. And so how can a salesperson even do their job so that I would open up that email or like not just hang up the phone? Mm. Like mm. when Altium calls you, like – you just say you want to buy it for like 20 bucks and then they click the phone. <laughs> I've right? tried. I have tried. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, so. It, okay. So this, uh, there was a second question that comes out. Okay. This. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, go for it. Especially since engineers don't like speaking to salespeople, what would make the conversation more intriguing to them? So in chat right now, DJ said, we have parts in stock is what you could say. <laughs> well, that would work. That would work, but you don't know what parts you need. Yeah. So that's kind of hard to do. Yeah, and this goes to last week's episode where they're like, we have parts in stock. Are they actually at your location? Yeah, exactly. Are they actually <laughs> at your location? Oh, uh, I have an update to that. So we'll keep talking about this thing, though. Um, yeah. I just remember to talk about that. Um, so DJ, that's, uh, one of the things I mentioned, which was, I would rather talk to an engineer than a salesperson. I said, I'd rather talk to a project manager. Um, the problem with that is, uh, project managers are always really busy because they're managing projects. Um, that's not to say salespeople are not busy, but a project manager's job is not to get more business. It's not on them to get another project, right? It's just them to manage it. Uh, okay. okay. So, so 
So, Stephen, you go. I'm going to read some comments. If, if if there's a salesperson listening to this podcast, here's what I can I I would suggest right now. Find an engineer uh, that works at your company or maybe even another company, and and say, hey, you want to go get a beer? Let's let's hang out one night, and put in an honest to god effort to just go out and listen. And try to listen, like literally just try to hear what they have to say and ask questions and try to hear the engineer's position on things. Um, and that, I think that applies to if you're a salesman trying to sell to engineers or if you're a salesman at your own company, whatever company you work at, and and you have engineers that, that work on uh, on a different team of yours, try to get their position on things. I would be personally, I would be ecstatic if a salesman was like, Hey, let's go get a beer. I just want to talk to you. And I want to hear what life like an engineer is like at this company. And you know what? I would be absolutely hundred percent glad to hear what life like a salesperson is like. I want to understand you, but you absolutely have to put in the effort to understand me. And in my experience with salespeople, they don't give a rat's ass about putting any amount of effort into hearing about what you have to go through as an engineer, especially uh, when salespeople have the tendency to walk in and say, hey, I sold XYZ later and XYZ doesn't even exist or it's a new product that you have to design or when they just walk in and say, you know, here's a whole boatload of work that I just put on your desk and you're just a technical nerd that I don't care about and your job is to just get it done. So I don't want to hear about it. Just get it done. That's a great way to make an enemy, not a friend. And so I would say, try your best to meet in the middle. I'm happy to meet you there. But if you don't put any effort into meeting me in that space, like it just ain't going to happen, you know? Yeah, um, I was I was reading comments in in Twitch chat. Um, it's I would say it's one of those. Yeah, there a salesperson's job is to sell, but engineers don't like being sold to either. Like, no, we like so. This is a great example. Is actually um, an engineer going to go find a part? Okay. The first thing they're going to do is go if they're in a company, okay. But most engineers work for companies, right? A design company. They first go through their vendor list or like what are approved manufacturers I can use. Use sometimes there's that list, sometimes there's not. So they take that, they go to a distributor and start looking for parts that fit their specs. They might need only like three or four specs are in mind. So it's like let's take a MOSFET for example. Okay, they'll go. Okay, I have a, a peak current, a continuous current. Um, I have what my gate voltage should be, and then my working, you know, uh, VDS, my drain to source voltage, and mine. It's like what five things, and then you start, you plug those in, and you start going through the data sheets, and then at the end of the day, you you have like five or six of them, and then you pick the cheapest one, <laughs> right? Um, a MOSFET company didn't come to you and sell you it. You don't, you don't really care what manufacturer it is unless it 
is not on your vendor list, of course. Um, I guess that's the salesperson job is to get on that person's vendor list, right? Um, so it's the engineer, engineers like to go and seek out the stuff. Um, I think a way is to figure out what the engineer is seeking and then sell that to them. That's really hard to do, though. Uh, yeah, how could you know that? Be a good salesperson. <laughs> Be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's because that's that's how engineers like even even not even electronic projects for myself. Like half of my of your projects and my projects are just researching and looking up stuff and figuring out what is going to be a good way to do whatever it is. It's, right. the, it's the, it's the, uh, the path. It's the, uh, journey, the, the journey, the eight year journey, Steven, you had to finish that, that amplifier mm-hmm. where a lot of it was you just thinking about it. Six yeah. years of you just thinking about it. There was, yeah, you're right. There was a lot of thinking. <laughs> You'd about wake it, up at four o'clock at night and go, "Aha, comet grounding." Yeah, comet grounding <laughs> in like a cold sweat. Cold sweat. And you're like write it down on a journal. <laughs> but that that's the thing is engineers, at least the engineers that I meet and we talk to in our Slack channel and on Twitch. Most of the project is the journey. It's not the final thing that is done. I, I know a lot of engineers that don't even finish stuff ever, like ever their projects. They know they just want to learn and they get about 90% of the way there and they go, okay, it's done. I've, I've right, because learned if you everything. It, the learning's done. Yeah. All the learning's done. <laughs> so they don't have to do the last 10% because that part doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that's where I'm going to come at with this is, Figure out what that engineer is seeking. So setting up your questions that way. And then selling what, in this case, let's say Macrofab, can offer to solve that, that, that burning uh, adventure in that engineer's mind. Hmm. I, 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 you know, one of the things I love about this kind of age old question of engineers and salespeople is engineers always have a story to tell when it, uh, when it comes to this kind of question. And right now our chat is lit up. It's just <laughs> like, it's just constantly scrolling and yeah. yep. And it, and it wasn't just a moment ago before we asked the question. So yeah, the, um, Oh man, if you at this is my, when, when someone asks you a question, that's a technical question. It's one of those how f- the first question I ask myself internally is how far back I should I rewind the clock to answer this question. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the question. That's the question that engineers have to ask ourselves. It's like, okay, how is is a yes no answer going to be suffice, or do I need to wind the clock to like you know, and then the big bang happened. <laughs> Okay, it's been my experience that if you if you take any any longer than the salesperson expects, their eyes gloss over. So the the fastest you can answer that question, the better. Man, I I, you know me, I love giving context. So yeah, and salespeople hate context. 
maybe they maybe that's what makes an, a better salesperson to engineers is they start they like context now, which get allows them to peer in and figure out what that engineer is seeking. Yeah. I, know, I know you put the title for this uh, schematics and chill for this podcast, but I think oh that was tentative. Yeah, we can. I think we just it. found it right there though. Is uh, um, what what engineers seek? Yeah. The I I remember the first at my first job, the the it ha- this happened literally one time. One of our sales guys came to the engineering department, and he was just trying to be friendly, like just straight up friendly, and. I had a schematic open and he literally pointed something on the schematic and goes, what's that? And it was a diode. And I was like, dead silent for a, quite a long time. And I looked him straight in the eyes. I'm like, what do you want? What? Why are you here? And he's like, no, literally, I just want to know what that is. So I ex- he sat down and I, he let me explain a diode to him. He's like, that's cool. And he left. And it was like mind blowing that a sales guy had done that. And like legitimately the guy was just interested. Um, now he probably went back to his desk and sold something that doesn't exist, but, uh, it was, it was completely, it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's that kind of level of friendliness is something they, a salesperson might need because that's, that's someone that's in your company though. Not. Yeah. The Altium guy's not calling me up and, yeah. <laughs> Ask him what's a diode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're picking on Altium. They're good. Yeah, they're good. Um, I think uh, it's, it's, that's a, kind of like a running joke with, with this podcast, though, is because uh, <laughs> I've uh, gotten man, that like story. Because <laughs> I was way early in, in MacPep's early career. We're like, you know, oh, a customer sent a copy of Altium and our copy of Altium is expired. Go get a free trial. Yeah. And so we would have like, we get the free trial and then all team would call us up. And be like, hey, you want to buy a copy? And I'd always be like, how much? And it would be like a couple, looks like a thousand something dollars or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, no, I'll just stick with, with Eagle because I was running, uh, you know, Eagle was like, I think actually, no, that was that was when you could bu- just buy Eagle. That was yeah. before the subscription service. Right. And, uh, I'm like, no, we got a copy of Eagle that we've had for two years at that point, so it's, you know, whatever. And uh, I just remember Steven, Steven talking to the Altium person and being like, they asked you, how much would you pay? <laughs> and you answered 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, hey, I tried, because what if they were like, sure, let's do it right now? I'd yeah. be like, yeah, let's do it's it. Like, it's, like, it's like going... To like a, a a uh like seen on Craigslist is like Ferrari for sale or best offer. Yeah. And you're like, dude, twenty bucks. Twenty bucks Ferrari. right now. Right now. Cash <laughs> in my pocket in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, you can't blame me for trying, right? No, no. That's hey, that's salesman and you. Yeah, hey, there we go. Yeah. I must be a terrible salesman though, because I still ha- don't have <laughs> Yeah, you didn't get the de- you didn't close that deal. Yeah. <laughs> ABC, dude. So uh, oh, DJ in chat says oh, uh, engineers are typically introverts 
who don't always mess with extrovert salespeople. And I, yeah, like I can, I can totally get on board with that. Although I'm curious, uh, do engineers actually tend to be more introverted? Is, is that like a, 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 like a notable thing? I could, I could, I could totally see that being the case. It's just, are there studies out there? I'd love to see that. I would definitely say salespeople are more extroverted. I think that's but easy to say. I don't yeah. I wouldn't say engineers are strictly introverted because as you said the moment you like ask what is that that engineers just going to go bananas, right? Oh, <laughs> and is does an introverted person actually do that? No. Maybe not, yeah. I don't know, maybe. So. I, I engineers are very passionate about yeah, what they do. That's true. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the thing is you got to just crack Crack the, the, the nut on that one. The passion shell? The passion shell. That's probably a seasoning you can buy at like HEB or something. Hmm. No, that's a I, I'm actually candle. curious if uh, I would, I, what would be really fun to know is, is um, how many salespeople listen to our show. I wonder if we have a sizable chunk, you know? I don't know. I'd join our Slack channel and let us know. We promise we won't jump you. Even though it's like six hundred engineers in a in a Slack channel. Slack channel. <laughs> I I you know I I I'm guessing we don't appeal to the sales channel, but maybe we do. Yeah. So, um, that that's a good point in our chat. Um, I think um, engineers do like to get to the point uh, of the matter sooner than like in meetings, like. If an engineer designs a meeting, it's like you come in with bullet points and you're just going to hit all the bullet points and be done, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like there's no time to be wasted. Whereas it does feel when you're trying to be sold to, it's like a wrap, you know, it's kind of going around the bush, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I thought of just now, too, is... Um, engineers typically only like to do things once. We were talking about the Python stuff. Like an engineer will spend more hours to make sure they don't do the same task twice. Yeah, that's true. Um, whereas the whole process of like sales is the same thing over and over and over again, right? Whereas like, let's say you have your widget and you need to go get your widget made. So you talk to 10 manufacturers and now you're um, now you're doing the same process 10 different times to get like quotes and stuff. Talking to 10 different salespeople, talking to 10 different quoting teams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like that for me, at least, you know, like doing that the same thing over and over again, like grinds my gears. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Parker wants to be in and out. I'm going to be Waterburger. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, uh, what's funny is, like, y you were mentioning engineers want to go into meetings and they got their bullet points. They get in, they get out, they they get it done with. It make that makes it seem like engineers are super efficient. I think we are. We waste time and we're lazy in a completely different way. No, like you said earlier, like we will spend forever researching something, which seems like you're not getting anything done, right? Because like you're not moving the ball forward, but in reality, I think you're formulating 
all the paths that the ball needs to roll such that oh, when yeah. you do execute, it just rolls. I've uh, seen 4,832 dimensions where this ball goes. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. All at Which once. one's like, successful? Yeah, we, engineers one. see the matrix, actually. That's just our normal it's vision. Matrix. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's just... It comes down to priorities, I think. You know, what what is your priority? In fact, Craft Labs was mentioning in our chat um, experiencing sales guys wanting to just get in meetings such that close the deal, leave, done... Uh, because they don't want to hear the the path that the engineer took. They don't want to hear the research. They don't care. That means nothing to their bottom line. It means nothing to the commission that they're going to get, right? It's just, you know, so it's all it all just ends up being like, what are... It's what is your priority that's been assigned to you, not even your priority that's in your own mind at the mm. same time. Like, if you get paid via commission, well, that's going to be your priority. And if anything hinders that, I mean, you're not paid to listen to an engineer talk about mm-hmm. their passions. You're paid to seal the deal. Yep. But, you know, go find an engineer and talk to them. They're nice people. Mostly. <laughs> Mo- well, true. Yeah, mostly. The ones that listen to this podcast are very nice. Oh, they're the best engineers in they're the, the world. the best engineers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One more topic. One more topic. Oh, well, hold on on, yeah. on that. So if you haven't answered that question, pop in our Slack channel. Um, I did invite some people on our sales team to our Slack channel, public Slack channel. I told them no sales. You can't sell stuff there. But y'all, they can talk to y'all, or y'all can talk to them, I should say. Um, and just like, I want them to get more exposed to en- what actual engineers are like. Like, mm. get that, that lifeblood right in their veins come on in the water's warm yeah okay so uh yeah one more one more topic here um i'm kind of excited about this one this, this oh is wait fun. yeah one more I thing i did mention um on the uh what is it the do you really have that part in stock thing oh yeah all right so because i'm trying to look for that intake manifold by the way right. anyone out there has a four barrel intake manifold for an amc 360 engine let what me year? know because I need one <laughs> because um, every, it's all out of stock until like two months. Right. And I did. I mentioned I found one on eBay. It went for three times MSRP. Oh, I did not buy it. Like I was like, oh, yeah, I'll pop on and probably get for just a little bit over MSRP. It'd be fine. It was when I popped on like an hour before the auction ended. It was two and a half X. And I'm like, nope, I can wait two months. Yeah. So. All right. Well, now you just told people. Like, well, I'm not going to pay, pay that. X. I already said I can wait two months. <laughs> but if someone wants to sell me one for MSRP, I'll totally buy it. Take it off your hands. See, Parker's a bad salesman here. Just told, he just <laughs> exactly. told you that you can get a ton more money than selling you can, you can. Or you can give it to me so I can get my project done. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right, all right. So this last topic is about Western Electric, which is a old tube manufacturer uh, that has been around since the 1800s, and uh, they are they didn't back. make tubes back then, though. Uh, they, I mean, yeah, they're making all. They actually have a whole. Go to their website. They have a really cool like history, 
uh, that's it's not animated, but there's a lot of uh, really the, the 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 graphic designer who did it, I think, did a great job. It has like a, a an, an old vibe to it that just works for what they're doing. So, uh, in fact, they have like a whole history up to today. And uh, they they manufacture one particular type of tube, which is the 300B. Uh, it's a 40 watt triode output tube. <clears throat> they also manufacture like CD players and and a handful of other things at their shop, uh, which is in Rossville, Georgia, which is uh, literally like a street over from the border of Tennessee at Chattanooga. So they're, they're right in that area of the country. The, uh, the 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 reason I'm bringing them up is because I got a notification from them this week that they're looking to expand and bring tube manufacturing back to America, you know, outside of this 300B tube, which if you go look at the prices of their, their vacuum tubes for a matched quad of these tubes, four of them, they want $3,000. So I think, I think in singles, they're asking $800 a piece. Uh, for these yeah. So it's, it's rough. It, this they're very much in the hi-fi world. Uh, mm-hmm. where I was looking at the website, and they're totally going that way with their. They're products. going that way, although they may be changing. And and here's the thing: so New Sensor, which is a company out of New York, uh, New Sensor, which is also DBA Electroharmonics, uh, they own a one of the largest tube factories in the world. Well, actually, at this point, it is the largest tube factory in the world. Uh, Expo Pole factory out in Saratov, Russia, which um, if anyone's been keeping up with any news in the past month or so, uh, that part of the world is um, in a little bit of turmoil right now. There's some stuff going on over there. And and uh, about and not about eight days ago, a export ban on. Uh, goods from that area of the world was put in place, which included everything from this factory. So the entire world's supply of vacuum tubes, minus a small one out in, um, gosh, where is it? It's JJ Tubes. I think it's Czechoslovakia. They, uh, the entire world's supply just dried up all at once, and everything went out of stock. Uh, there was a lot of panic buying that went on. So, uh, in fact, the the owner of New Sensor sent out a, so uh, I, i'm just imagining like that meme it's like you panic bag toilet paper i panic bag tubes yeah oh, it's to- it was totally that <laughs> yeah no i mean it was it's like okay i mean these things are very very niche and there's one place in the world that really does like honestly most of the brands that you you, you would see and they just completely dried up so so all of this dried up and uh but luckily about six days ago so two days after the 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 export ban uh new sensor got it resolved however all exports now come with the 35 percent tariff that was imposed by the the u.s so just overnight your prices went up by 35 percent which okay Mm -hmm. understandable uh, I, I understand why we're doing that, but it does have an impact on this particular industry that's going up. So back to Western Electric. Western Electric sent out a, a survey, in effect, uh, which if you go to westernelectric.com slash expand, they're looking to uh, expand their offerings to a lot more of the more widely available 
uh, tube offerings. So your 6L6s, your 6V6s, EL84s, EL34s, 12 Your jelly bean tubes. All your jelly bean tubes. And that's got me really excited because I would love to purchase American-made tubes. And Western Electric actually has some really cool technology that they're utilizing, uh, mainly in the form of like laser welding as opposed to just, you know, tack welding uh, and things like that. But but they they're, what they do is uh actually has some measurable differences in my opinion so i'm I'm really excited about this and what's funny is my wife and i were planning a trip out to tennessee this uh this summer just for fun we want to kind of go back to the south for a little bit and have have a good time and uh, we were going to be right in this area so i'm going to try to see if i can get a tour of western electric uh this summer and maybe they'll be setting something up uh maybe they will already have something set up uh for manufacturing these new tubes. But regardless, if anyone is interested, uh, please go to westernelectric.com slash expand and let them know, you know, are you a hobbyist? Are you an OEM? Are you whatever? Are you dealer? And because uh, uh, they're looking to see, is there a market out there for um, manufacturing in America? And frankly, if there's a 35% tariff on uh, purchasing from Russia, and you know, if we're talking about labor prices being different in America, if the if you know prices being the same, thirty five percent from there or American prices, I'll buy American. Uh, I would love to buy, uh, you know, from right down the street, effectively. So, uh, if if this interests you, please go check that out, and then we'll see. Maybe this summer, maybe I can get some pictures from the inside and see what. Or we we'll get like. them on the podcast. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would love that. In fact, it would be really fun, Parker, if you flew out for a day and we oh, yeah. we did a, a tour of the factory. Because, I mean, they oh. do more than just tubes there. It would be, it'd be really cool to see. Yeah. So perhaps we can, we can work up. that out. Yeah. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading and listening to our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab or at Longhorn Engineer or at MacFab. Oh, I always said that, at Analog ENG. I almost forgot you, Stephen. Uh, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. And also our live stream, which is Tuesdays at 6 o'clock, which I think is going to change next week, Stephen. So I have to let you know that. But that's twitch.tv slash macrofab.